1: You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We are your weekly Star Trek show, where we talk about all things Star Trek, from video games, movies, episodes, favorite characters, and all kinds of fun storylines. I'm one of your regular hosts, Gregory Bosco, and with me as always is Derek, but we also have a very special guest, uh, Timothy Jackson. Go ahead and say hello to our fans out there. Hello. (laughs) So we've been trying to spice things up, get some of our uh, friends and other podcast stars and guests on the show. Uh, This week, uh, we're continuing our Mechbach which is we kind of compare our episodes and discuss some of our favorite topics. It gets, gets a little interesting, especially when we start really peeling back that Star, that star Trek onion. Uh, Timothy, why don't you share the topic that we chose this week?
2: So this one we chose was the best
1: Pulaski episode
2: from uh, Season 2 of Star Trek The Next Generation.
3: Yeah, kind of the only opportunity to do that topic, you know. Uh, season four, best Pulaski probably
1: wouldn't be as interesting. Our season, the <laughs> other season really. Our options would be a little more limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from her two appearances on Star Trek: The Original Series, I guess oh. it would be that would be her
2: uh... best TOS
1: appearances. Which
2: if yeah. there are only a of them, There's only two that you could do. So.
3: And she's a different character, it's right? two kind of different characters I that, right? right? Yeah, so this is it. This is our only shot to do best Pulaski episodes.
1: <laughs> uh, but in this week, Timothy and I are going to be kind of squaring off with Derek doing the judging. Last week was our best Riker episode. And as you all are probably familiar with, we kind of do a little bit of a rehash. And I think Derek even has digging up the poll results from our online. It's always kind of interesting to see the discussion we have on the cast and then go to look at the results online. So, uh, Derek, do you, do you get those numbers? I do. So, uh, basically, the way
3: we do this is every week, a couple hours after the episode is uh, published, we also put a poll on Twitter. So you can listen to the episode, and then you can vote for which episode of the Mech ba you think is the best, and then we'll talk about it the following week. So, uh, as Greg said, last week was our Best Riker episode, also of TNG Season 2, and it was Measure of a Man versus the Icarus Factor. And this one, usually our, our polls are pretty close, usually in the in like the fifty to forty ranges. This one's a bit of one sided. Uh, it's eighty eight percent for Measure of a Man, which was surprising to me. I really thought the Icarus Factor was going to to take the
1: the listener poll. I almost wish, you know, the, the wish we could change Star Trek. His dad was prominent in Icarus Factor. I almost wish he would have had more mainly I kind of Really like the actor they had for his father. Mm-hmm. But I think people thought it was just like a throwaway one-off episode. Whereas Measure of a Man I was an excellent episode, but it's got Data facing a challenge to his Starfleet career and Riker and Picard, like all at their finest. Uh, they're both great episodes, but... I'm drawing a blank on the Icarus Factor. So
3: his, Riker's dad shows up uh, to basically uh, give him the... Offer of a promotion to captain um, of a ship, and Riker. This is the second time Riker has been given the opportunity to command a starship, and it's kind of about all of the unresolved conflicts between William and his father, mainly dealing around uh, his Riker's uh, William Riker's mother's death and how his father kind of sort of abandoned him at like the age of thirteen, uh, that kind of stuff, you know. And so they. They play that fake, totally fake, kind of Asian-style martial arts
2: battle.
1: Probably one of the most embarrassing martial arts arenas <laughs> you see outside of, like, American Gladiators did it better. <laughs> At least that was That's better. It was well
2: a deck, wasn't it?
1: No, no. It were, was a real thing? It was, like... You okay. know, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Okay, they, there's no excuse, then. They got, the, they got <laughs> these helmets that blind them, and they use, like, sensor wands to find each other. And they have to flip it around really quick, and there's a like bludgeon on the opposite side. It's... I guess, the, I guess the
2: fact that I remember the measure of a man more than the right. kind of tells which which one I would choose on that one. So
3: it was almost like they, they had watched the original Star Wars and saw the scene where Luke got the blaster shield down and he's you know doing the lightsaber training against the little globe, right? And they were like, "What if we did that but with sticks?" <laughs> and he's fighting another person, <laughs> right? So yeah, it, it's it's terrible, but they try and play it off like it's a real Asian martial art that is created in the future at some oh, point. Gosh. And I I don't know if that was offensive to to people of Asian descent or Asian Asian culture or not, but it certainly seemed like it could have been. So, so it's it's, the,
2: it's a Star Trek version of Kasi then from Star Wars then. Um, you
1: know, almost sort of less hand-to-hand combat, this is all weapons based, but um, it's kind of along those lines. It's supposed to be that mystical mystical arena kind of combat where they're like ah oh, you've been cheating my whole life and I never knew it and at the same time you're like, yeah. Riker's been, been fighting, you playing this game for like 30 years and never knew <laughs> you, <just laughs> you, <laughs> fi- you just found out you guys was cheating? You just found You know, what, maybe we don't want you to be in command of the Ares right now. Why <laughs> no, don't want you, right <laughs> no. No, I don't want you just stay right where you are, buddy? Okay.
3: So yeah, so it went to measure of a man and um, so that was last week's poll. So thank you very much to everybody who voted in that. We truly appreciate it. The poll for this episode will be up on our Twitter channel as well at redshirts pod. So please uh, vote and retweet that for us. And uh, next week we'll be doing our final TNG season two Mechbah, um, which uh, we don't, we, we're, we have a topic for, but we're not going to reveal that. So still in negotiations. <laughs> negotiations, Right. Um, but yeah, so you guys each picked an episode. So, Greg, which episode did you
1: pick? Uh, Mine is obviously from Season 2. It's Episode 7, Unnatural Selection. Which, for those of you who don't know Star Trek Next Generation, it's the episode where people... Spoiler alert. Really old age was a problem. And that's how I figured out a lot of my friends from college remember that episode. They don't remember what happened, but they remember like, Ah, that was... Okay. Yeah, now we remember.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it... For some reason, in my head, it's always a different episode than than it all than it turns out to be, you know. Because I feel like it should be something where the, the crew is like mutating or falling apart or aging or something, but it's not. It's, it's that's a different... that's season seven, right? right. <laughs> like Genesis. Yeah, that, that's a great that's a
2: great episode. I love that one. You sort of expect it to be kind of a callback to the Deadly Years from Star Trek: The Original Series, much how the Season one episode, this, The Naked Now, was a callback to uh, the naked time in the original mm-hmm. series. And when I first saw uh, Unnatural Selection, that's kind of what I was thinking. I'm like, oh, are they going to call back to the deadly years? That's a little tacky, but yeah, I'm on board <laughs> <pour> with it. <laughs>
3: I mean, season two was kind of a tough season for TNG, because it was a writer's strike. And so they were lucky that there was a canceled Star Trek phase two that they could borrow scripts from. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. Yes. Um, I, I don't know for sure that Unnatural Selection was one of those,
1: but the season definitely used several. So. It kind of feels that way, especially, you know, we'll we'll talk about this when we're actually doing the comparison, but there's, there's not a lot of pizzazz to this episode. No. There's not a lot of flair, or even the sick bay looks a little different, and... Things, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of viewing stuff on monitors, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I noticed during my rewatch. I, I watched it again over the weekend and yeah. again today at work. I mean, all oh, my lunch break, I swear. But <laughs> I'm watching. I'm like, man, there's a lot it's of people. Lunch break there. <laughs> well, I, had to, I had to divide it up. I <laughs> had to divide and conquer. Um, but uh, it's like you're watching. I'm like, man, there's a lot of disgust talking to, mon- to people on monitors here.
3: Yeah, TNG has a lot of that, whether it's the view screen or some, like, workstation on the back of the bridge, you know, someone's always talking to some screen or something.
2: Something that I noticed when I was watching it, I'm like, are there any guys in in sickbay? Are they all just uh, girl nurses in this episode? Because that was was all I was seeing. It's entirely female nurses
1: in this episode, which... They had some male nurses, but they don't show up in this. Yeah. And
2: I mean, I've seen them before. I know they're on the ship somewhere, but they're not in this episode, which I thought was kind of interesting.
1: And there's, I have a theory that we'll talk about when we start doing oh, the actual review. Good deal. Ooh, okay, but good. it probably doesn't make any sense, and I'll get laughed at again. But I'm okay with that. I got thick skin. <laughs> Anyways, Timothy, talk about what your choice was. So the issue here is that the one
2: episode in... Um, the Next Generation Season 2 that actually is a full-on Pulaski episode is Unnatural Selection. So I was kind of tasked with trying to find another one that was actually a bona fide Pulaski episode. And I wasn't exactly successful, but this one definitely does have a lot of Pulaski in it, which is Up the Long Ladder. And that one is basically... They go to a planet like they do in all Star Trek episodes. You know, they go to a planet and they're finding this colony that's in trouble. And one colony is all sort of, uh, they're very much, oh, what's the word? Agriculture is their thing. They have a lot of livestock and. It's a all, rural population. Yeah, they're all Irish and everything. Yeah. And um, the other colony that they run into is completely opposite. All um, scientific and all, and uh, apparently all of their, spoiler alert, all their people died except for five and so they had to like clone themselves to prolong them, themselves and they started out on the same ship, but they ended up um, separating and going to two different planets and developing completely different societies because the base was
3: technology versus not. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, it, that's kind of interesting. So, I will say, I am surprised that neither of you picked
1: Elementary Dear Data. Okay, before we started recording, that's the one we were yeah, talking well, about. the, pre-show. We, had the yeah, pre-show. we had a little bit of a pre-show, but <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't record it. it. We were actually talking about that episode because she's like a hostage to Moriarty. She
3: is, and I think um, that's the episode that gets her character a lot of hate because the whole premise of the episode is that she kind of is condescending and talks down to data who was like the fan favorite character at the time. And I mean, still probably is the fan favorite character, but especially in 1988, 89. Um, so she kind of has showcased quite a bit in that one, but usually in a way that's not liked. So I was a little surprised neither of you went that direction, but
2: so I, when I was looking through that, I saw that one, but um, I, I haven't watched it in a while and I wasn't thinking her, I'm thinking, Okay, Data, Geordi, and Moriarty, and I'm not really thinking of any other main characters in that one that are shining. Those are the those are basically the three, and then of course Picard comes in and does his thing. Right? Do they all show up in that episode? Did they all Warf just does. In, That wharf war hops in. in um, I think that's it though. Yeah. I think that's it.
3: Because Doctor Crusher shows up in, in season one for the 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 big goodbye. Yeah. Right. She she goes to the holodeck in that one, but unrelated so um okay well um then what we're going to do here is we're going to take a short break and then when we come back we're going to dive into our first episode in this Mechbah for the best pulaski of tng season two hey guys it's derek of gamer heroes the heroes podcast network's dedicated video game podcast series join us every other week as john and i talk video game news what we're playing now and other major topics in the video game industry we cover everything from esports to indie games. We also interview developers and publishers. So join us every other Wednesday for new episodes. We'll see you there. All right, and we are back. So we are going to kick things off with Greg's episode, the first of our mechbah.
1: Well, and of course, the episode opens up with one of my favorite Star Trek things they do the MacGuffin. You know, the, <laughs> ships, the ship's en route to another mission or en route to another mission, another planet to do, another base to do something. They're going course. to a planet. They're going to a planet. They always go to a planet. <laughs> They're, going to, They're going to a planet. And then mystery distress signal from like another sector over and we're the only ship in range because that's exciting. I, It's fine. I love the MacGuffins. It's just a thing they do. I'm convinced <laughs> that there's only one Starfleet vessel in service. At any <laughs> given <laughs> time. <laughs> you are not wrong. It's like, you know, when you are not wrong. <laughs> it's like when Deedra's approaching Earth and it's like, you know... The Enterprise is the only ship in range. I'm like, are you sure?
3: You sure there's <laughs> nothing else that can push it? Like, <laughs> this is,
1: this thing's like the size of a solar system, but anyways. <laughs> so it opens up with that MacGuffin and it's like a, this distress signal from the, another starship, a supply ship, which happens to be a reused Reliant. It's a Miranda class model. They just kind of doctored up a little bit, but it's the USS Lantry and they get the distress signal and the other MacGuffin is a distress signal like fades away. And Data comes in, he's like, well, we're still receiving a signal from the ship, it's just, we're not receiving any communication anymore. So they, of course, they warp seven. You know, actually, they, they actually ponder it. Now, when you rewatch the episode, they get the distress signal, they're listening, listening to the distress, and there is literally like 30 or 45 seconds of them standing around before they take action. And I always remember that because I'm like, man, it's a distress signal and you just identified it's from another Starfleet ship. And you're pondering, you're like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we, we had some plans. Anyways, so they they go to the land tree, and I love it because they finally do something that's... This is when I've always kind of felt, even though it's a writer strike, I always kind of started thinking every episode of Next Generation got better and better. Mm-hmm. And this is that one time where they're like, there's no life form readings, there's nothing on board that we can detect. Counselor Troy, I sense nothing, which is... Kind of her thing. <laughs> <I> mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> that could be <mean> any number. <laughs> but then so look, look in your crystal ball. It's called Deanna Troy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then Riker and Picard were like, hey, we could use the computer to take over... Riker actually had the idea, I believe it was. We can use our computer to take over them, turn on the view screen, at least look into the bridge and see what happened. And I know people have brought that up on Star Trek before. Like, why don't they, you know, we can kind of like remote activate webcams now. Mm-hmm. And I know it's 30 years ago when they're making this, so I'm not knocking them for that. But it's cool because... They open up the view screen and it's like immediately they're like, something is definitely wrong here. Mm -hmm. And they're zooming in on some of the characters and they're like, alright, well, I don't know what happened on that ship, but whatever it is is bad. And they zoom in and the characters are essentially all dead from old age. And I gotta give them credit because whether they use makeup and prosthetics or they just put more makeup and prosthetics on some of the more aged actors and actresses at the time, but they looked really good. I mean, the captain's Mm -hmm. in his his seat and he looked... He definitely looks dead in a non-pleasant way. And not like a MacGuffin disease, again, the, the, my favorite word, that just kills him instantly. It's like they got older and older and older and older, just a little bit more rapid, but they went through an entire aging process. Mm-hmm. And they have no idea what happened. They're able to get some of the logs downloaded and figure out what, a, what kind of an idea. And that's when they realize that they made a stop a couple of days in the past at like Darwin Station. And, of course, everybody, anybody that likes science hears the word Darwin, they're like, okay, well, evolution. I mean, most <laughs> people, a,
2: That was a little bit...
1: It's a, it's a, little, a little bit. bit. It's too on the nose. Two it's, it's a little too on the
2: nose. the episode's called Unnatural Selection, Darwin Station. So
1: you get Unnatural Selection, Darwin Station, a ship full of people died from rapid aging. So I think most fans that, you know, I was, you know, how old was I? I was like seven, eight... I didn't know what the hell was going on. But when I'm rewatching it, I'm older. I'm like, Oh man, how now I get what my brother's <laughs> kind of raw laughing when they're watching It's Like unnatural selection, Darwin station. Uh, but anyway, so they get the, <laughs> they kind of figure out what's going on. And I like it because they immediately, the other stuff that they do is they immediately jump into like, is this a quarantine situation? And this is the first time they've ever done that on the next generation mm-hmm. where they're like, we're going to have to quarantine the vessel because we don't know what killed them. And Pulaski, of course is immediately involved with we should beam somebody over so we can do an investigate or we can do an, an inspection or do some medical tests. And of course they're all like, are you crazy? We have no idea what this is, what happened to these people, what killed them. We just know that they're all dead and the sensors are showing nothing. So they quarantine the vessel and immediately go to Darwin station to figure out what what's kind of going on. And of course <laughs> with the overall plot, you know, they get to Darwin station and the moment they're on the view screen you know the one doctor is like i just i last week i just celebrated my 35th birthday which kind of ironic last week i celebrated my 36th birthday so hopefully i don't die of rapid aging <laughs> <laughs> stay can, away yeah, from darwin yeah, station <laughs> stay away from darwin station and anything that's a supply ship. right right but you know when they uh, when they're kind of doing the investigation and everything and talking to people excuse me they're realizing that like the first officer on the land tree had, like, a Thalusian flu. Right. Which, you know, the even the station's like, oh, yeah, the first officer is one of the people that beamed down. And I can't remember. I'm looking through my notes. It doesn't seem like that they dropped off any supplies or anything. So I couldn't really figure out why the Landry ever stopped there. I don't know if you guys remember or not. I can't even I remember if it, it, it was a supply drop-off, but they weren't very specific about it. Like, that wasn't really
2: the focus. I mean, they just, focus. they just called it a supply ship. Were they picking up supplies? Were they dropping off supplies? You'd think they'd be picking up. I mean, it's a station. Aren't stations supposed to have a Well, but it's like a medical
3: stuff? research station. So I took it more as they were dropping off some supplies of either maybe food or chemicals or, dribbles. Know. Tribbles, of course. It was the Tribbles' fault. To a a station named Darwin, here's a bunch of Tribbles. Good luck, may the force be with you.
1: And they actually said, may the force be with you. Yep. Yep. But you know, you always kind of can laugh then, because the first officer beamed down. Mm -hmm. So if they were delivering supplies, he went down to help deliver supplies. Or if they were gathering supplies, he beamed down to help gather supplies. So either way, you're kind of like, why did the first officer beam down?
2: Oh, they could have just used the transporter.
1: They could have just used the transporter.
3: Well, I mean, think about it, though. If it was the original series, the captain would have gone down. Yeah, the so captain. they're making progress. <laughs> yeah, so the captain would have gone down.
1: With, you know, the three red shirts. And... Of course. ensign Ricky. And... <laughs> but anyways, that's, the whole discussion at Darwin Station is when Pulaski is, you know, the, the, the one doctor on the on the station, because she doesn't beam down, not yet. But the, the doctor on the station's like, oh, well, you know, it's too late for us, but you have to save our children. And, <laughs> you know, everybody's like, What? It's like there's an awkward silence, an awkward pause on the Enterprise We're like, What do you mean children? And they they kinda of start talking, they start realizing that like, you know, they can't have they couldn't have been infected, they're isolated. So whatever's impacting us is not impacting them. And that's when they start getting into the whole these kids were you know, they bring up genetic engineering and the one doctor on the station's like, No, they weren't en- they weren't engineered, they were designed.
2: Like we're gonna have this
3: conversation. Yeah, it's like <laughs>
1: you can almost tell like <laughs> They're gonna have like, we're really we're really gonna talk about this.
2: And, and this. and you know, that seemed kinda of strange to me when I was watching it because at least in the Enterprise era, they had strict rules about genetic engineering. I'm pretty sure they had it in the original series as well. And it's like, wait a second, so these guys are genetic engineering on humans? Is that isn't that against, like, Starfleet regulations you or act- You actually
1: bring up something that I was able to research. Ooh, oh, all of the discussions oh, yes. on the engineering, the genetic engineering bans, were discussed, or the episodes were made mm-hmm. after this one. So even the Enterprise episode mm-hmm. uh, wasn't brought up in the original series. They talk about what happened with Khan and his people, the eugenics, but they never mention the ban. The ban is discussed in Deep Space Nine, and... Star Trek Enterprise. And
3: now Discovery. And now Discovery. Because of uh, Stamets when they're doing the whole, you know, Spore Drive thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting. And, I mean, if because of Bashir, spoiler alerts for Deep Space Nine, um, because of who he is and his background, it was illegal then, so you would think it would have been illegal three
2: or four years earlier during this TNG time. Okay, I got some good headcanon for this. Okay. So, there was a different administration, the President of the Federation... He came in. He like lifted the ban, and then you know it got put back in when there was a new president elected. That's that's what happened.
3: Where they, they lifted the ban and this happened. And they're like,
1: well, that was a terrible. <laughs>
2: idea.
1: Like, look, he said you were just going to change hair color. You're like, Well, we did. They were born with blonde hair. Now they have dark hair. I mean, they're twelve years
2: old and they look like they're eighteen.
1: How about that? <laughs> so that and that's actually when they finally get a hold of one of the children. They're like, well, let's beam one of the kids on board, and so we can at least investigate why they're not sick so we can at least kind of have like a like a case sample of what healthy is versus what unhealthy is and they keep having all these they don't get into a lot of details in the end on the engineering of the of the children but they beam him up and he's like in this styrolite like almost like it, i don't even know how to describe it it's
2: it looks like it looks like 80s 80s rubber Sort of. Foam yeah, it's
1: thing. like, it's like it rubber a rubber cement glue. It reminded <laughs> me of like a
2: vacuum form kind of
3: thing. Like, yeah. You're gonna make some stormtrooper
1: armor. It's like, yeah, it's, like, it's like, it looks like clear ABS is what it looks like. Clear right. plastic. So they beam him up and, you know, the is like, he's perfect. It's like, there's nothing I could find that's wrong with him. I'm gonna take the styrolight off. And that, the best part is when they first beam up the child on board, Worf and Jordy instantaneously, I believe it's Worf, it's like, oh, it's deception, it's a trap. Or whatever he screams. He wants to, cause Jordy wants to beam the kid back. Yeah. Cause they said they were beaming with a 12 year old child. And like Timothy just said, when whoever they beamed up was like a 22 year old man. Dude. <laughs> it was a 22 year old dude, <laughs> not a 12 year old kid. It was obviously a legitimate adult, which just even raised more questions. But the reason why that's important is cause that's when Pulaski's realizing, oh, he's healthy, but we gotta figure out what's going on. There's something not right here. People are dying of old age on the station, on the ship. The only ones not sick are the kids. And that's when her and Picard start having clashes. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were always kind of having clashes. But it gets to the point where she wants to do stuff. Picard doesn't want her to do anything until they investigate further. And there's actually a great scene where Pulaski's interrupting Picard. And he lets her finish like a good captain. Then he says, all right, let me think about it. And then he walks away He says, by the way, Doctor, I would appreciate if you would let me finish my sentences from time to time. (laughs) And he just walks out. I'm like, <laughs> that's actually a good captain. He lets his crew finish talking, then makes his point as he's leaving because he just got the last word. Mm-hmm. Very subtle. Very subtle. Very subtle. And I, I know people bring up her interrupting as like a similar, like they always call Pulaski the female McCoy. The reason why I have a problem with that is McCoy was beloved and people constantly complain about Pulaski. So I'm like, if she's a female McCoy and similar to McCoy with the kind of brashness, a little bit of arrogance... A little bit of comedy. So what's the problem? Like, she never really... I never really took any personally that she was on the show. She was fine. Some of the stories that Derek has brought up were a little weak because of the writer's strike. I don't know if... Yeah, it wasn't was her fault. It's not like any of them were on their A game for, during season two. I mean, Patrick Stewart was, but Patrick Stewart doesn't have a B game. <laughs> He's just Patrick Stewart. <clears throat> but it's, it was always kind of... The thing I wanted to highlight about her in this episode... And Derek's heard me on the podcast before say this. My one complaint about Next Generation was everybody's perfect. You know, Data's perfect. You know, Worf is the perfect warrior. He's the perfect, tries to be the perfect Klingon. Riker is just, he plays music. He's athletic. He's intelligent. They're all perfect. And you get Pulaski on board and Pulaski's not. She's got a little bit of arrogance. She's got a little bit of attitude. She's got a little bit of confrontation. She's almost kind of thinking, like if, if I'm not a psychiatrist. I think if somebody were to diagnose her, they'd be like, hey, she's she doesn't think she's good enough. So that's why she constantly has this bravado to challenge people and push authority and everything. Even though apparently this episode's even like, you came up with that viral thesis like 20 years ago. That's still the standard baseline. And Pulaski's that like... That was a long time ago. That was a, exactly, that was a long time ago. <laughs>
3: but she, she is the most human character. She is by... From the, l- the main group. Yes, she is. You know, and like, the reason I don't like her is I don't like how she treated Data early on in the season, right? But that's, you know, that she gets past that. There's a point where that doesn't happen anymore. And she's very good at her job. There's no question about that. She takes some risks that Picard's not super thrilled about, but some of that's also the fact that Picard has to captain a ship with a bunch of families on board. You know, there's there's... There's children and there's civilians and, and stuff like that. You know, there's barbers and teachers. And, you know, the Velasquez like being... instructors. <laughs>
1: Fourteen science labs and
2: the Velasquez being like a next generation version of McCoy. I never really noticed that until it was pointed out to me in the next generation Blu-ray previews. And I'm like, oh, I guess she kind of is a McCoy. But the difference between McCoy and her really is the rapport that Kirk has with McCoy. So if Pulaski had a history with Picard and they went way back, you know, her interrupting him would probably make a little bit more sense and kind of questioning him because they have that. They have that rapport. They have that friendship, which, by the way, the other Doctor Crusher has that sort of thing with uh, Picard. So
1: hmm. interesting. She, she interrupts Picard
3: all the time, and Picard just you know
1: goes along with it because of their previous relationship. In this episode, there's actually an instance towards the end where Data interrupts Picard, and it's obvious. And Picard either doesn't, either they forgot about it, <laughs> <laughs> they forgot about that thing that he had with Pulaski, or they just didn't care because it was Data. Mm-hmm. But the long to, to cut down the the, the story. They, she realizes, all right, I got, I have to, I have to actually be a doctor. I need to investigate this kid. I need to do some tests to figure out why they're so healthy and everybody else isn't. So they go on board. They do something pretty smart. They take him on board a shuttlecraft with Commander Data, who, you know, they even kind of say, well, I'm, we're assuming he's not going to be in, in, uh, impacted by this illness or whatever, which is kind of a little neat. And <laughs> they take the kid out of Styrofoam. They're doing some testing. They're doing some discussion. She realizes that. He's telepathic, too. Like, not like Troy empathic. Like, the kid is talking to Pulaski without verbalizing anything. He grabs her hand or whatever. Very politely, wasn't being aggressive. But she immediately has, like, arthritic pain, which they said was one of the first symptoms. Kind of unusual. I know they picked it because the, the common viewer knows arthritis is bad. And it, right. it typically <laughs> relates to people who are approaching elderly age. So I know that's why they picked that symptom. But she immediately has it, and it's like crippling, because she drops her medical tools, and they realize everything's bad. They beam the kid back down to the planet, and she actually goes back to the planet with them because she's all infected. And I will say, this is where the episode doesn't really stop, but this is kind of where the primary storyline ends. Because yeah, they they work on a resolution to find a, to find out what's going on. The, <laughs> the the end the end result is they go into further discussions about well, if we use her old DNA. From like a transporter pad, from a transporter scan, we can use that to filter out whatever this this genetic variance is that the kids have. The doctor on the planet's talking about. Well, the kids are perfect in design, and well, what about their immune system? Well, that's the best part. Let me tell you, it's like the Joker in the original in the in the original <laughs> Batman movie in '89. Well, that's the guy. You already have all these products, and the the doctor on the ground's like, well, that's the best part is their their immune system doesn't wait to get sick. It has, creates antibodies when exposed to something and pursues and attacks. Which actually, now that I think about it, it wasn't until you mentioned this, they were... The children
2: are in isolation, right? Did the first officer actually have any contact with those children?
1: That's a good point, because... The... If
2: they're supposedly in isolation, can't get airborne diseases, then...
1: The only thing I can think of is the way they describe that their antibodies go out and are attacking everything. They were already attacking like the genetic code of the of the other doctors on the ground, and somehow being exposed to the delusion flu messed up the people not in isolation. That's the only way around the lot that I could find logically. Because you're right, the kids were in isolation the whole time, and by the way, they're also telekinetic; they can move stuff with their minds.
3: It definitely seemed like the flu is what kicked things off. Like, everybody at the station was healthy, so the immune system had nothing to do. And then all of a sudden, this disease shows up, and the immune system kicks it into high gear and goes crazy, destroying everything, right? Um, I think that's kind of the, the basic premise of that. But, I mean, there was a, there are some
1: holes there, because clearly it means their isolation never worked. Yeah, the isolation was, right. whoever designed <laughs> the station, Darwin Station, Dar- Charles Darwin would be very upset with you. Uh, for disgracing his name multiple times but the, it kind of ends when she beams down to the planet with the kid because she's not really involved in the rest of the story she has some discussions with the Enterprise but it's really Riker and Data that come up with a resolution with O'Brien and company to, to help fix everything speaking of her connection to Bones though she also doesn't like using yeah, transporters she doesn't like yeah. transporters <laughs> and they even contact her old captain on the Repulse and he's like yeah I would have given her a shuttle if I would have kept her or if it would have kept her and all that which is Kind of a fun little throwback.
3: Well, that's how Picard learns that she has you know really high respect and holds him in high regard, and she might push him a bit to get something she truly feels is right, but that's only
1: because she respects him so much and believes it's worth the argument. Mm-hmm. You know? But they they get the resolution, they're they're able to figure out what's going on, and then kind of they kind of save the day. There is no end result of what happens with Darwin Station that we know of. You would think that, like Timothy said, there would be some horrible Starfleet. would be like the new president would be like, all right, wait a second. This is bad, and we got to figure out what, what we're going to do.
2: We're going to put this into the Starfleet secrets of nobody knows anything about this. Put it under the rug. This didn't happen.
1: Well, so at
2: Lock the up.
3: we're left with them that, b- right. basically <laughs> saying that these kids now have to live out their lives in isolation. There's a couple of problems with this. One, We don't know how old this new species essentially would live. Humans are already living to be 150 easy, right? So they're going to live to be 200. They should have the lifespan of a Vulcan, right? But because they have telekinetic abilities and telepathic abilities and incredible immune systems and strength and intelligence, are they going to be cool with staying there?
1: Or It would make another good story if somebody would bring it back up and be like, no, it didn't turn out well, like... Like we almost created like a new con or something. Exactly. You'd think they'd want to do the exact
3: same thing that Khan did. At the very least, they wouldn't want to be trapped.
1: Yeah. At a minimum, stuck in, stuck in a glass cage forever.
3: Right. They'd want to find at least like an abandoned, not an abandoned, but a um, uninhabited planet for them to you know colonize on their own.
1: And the throwback to what we were joking about earlier about that there's no male nurses. This is my theory because I was doing some research on this episode. <laughs> there was supposed to be a an attractive female comic love interest of some kind on the on the ship named Rena that was cut and she was replaced with O'Brien no joke i even that's really? even on memory alpha where there was going to be a comedic love interest of some kind though with like laforge but it wasn't supposed to be like serious it was supposed to be almost like just fun dating teasing fond fr- fr- um
2: money pennies. yeah exactly thing. gotcha
1: but she was replaced and replaced with o'brien like that whole storyline was cut I'm wondering if because of the writer's strike, because one thing about that kid who wasn't a kid, was a young male adult, I was wondering if they were originally going to unfreeze him on the ship and cause some problems because the young, young nurses, they were going to do something along the lines where their immune system, they're also telepathic, but their immune systems are so aggressive it somehow draws people towards them. Hmm. And do a weird storyline where they're physically you know, 20, 22, 23, but mentally now they have no idea what's going on. They're like, that would have been way too edgy for Star Trek oh, yeah. for Star Trek back in eighty nine. That's a you, fun idea. But when you read about the stuff with the the cut character of Rena, I'm like, maybe they were going to do something like that. Where, but maybe not. Maybe I'm reading way too into it.
3: That's but, an interesting
1: concept. I mean, Jordy kind
3: of always has a complicated love life. It never really goes well for him.
1: From Leah so. Brahms to, <laughs> to whoever, uh, he's it's always been complicated for
3: him. It has. But, I mean, this is an opportunity for O'Brien to show himself a bit. And, of course, as people know, he ends up getting promoted to a full-time cast member in DS9. So maybe if this hadn't
1: happened, it wouldn't have led to more of his uh, smaller roles. There's even a, a moment where him and LaForge are kind of having a little back and forth on some engineering stuff. And O'Brien drops in and he's like, well, technically you're right, but if you let me do this, this, and this, it'll work. And even LaForge is like, eh. Not bad, O'Brien. Not bad. <laughs> he was showing himself. <laughs> That—that's—that's the that's why I picked on Natural Selection for for Pulaski, Diana Moldar. I mean, she's confrontational. She's interrupting. She's she's actually like a few doctors I know. Uh, but you kind of see her at her best and at her and her worst when she's really aggressive. Her best when she realizes that she kind of screwed up and she even admits it. And when she thinks she's dying on the on the planet, she actually. Context of ship is like this is the the last log of the medical officer, and you know, just like ev- as evolution created us, Evelyn, etc., etc., evolution can also end us or whatever. And it, that's when Picard's like, All right, this is not happening because he even threatens to beam her up against her will. And but while she's uh, and not cryogenic for freeze, uh, oh, it's suspended animation, yeah. yeah. And even she's like, No, you can't take the risk, blah blah blah. So that, that was kind of nice. She Started off a little confrontational, and they bond, were able to bond enough and interrupt each other enough to the point where, at the end, her her willingness to be a, to sacrifice herself for a mistake, and Picard's like, no, no, this is not how it ends. And he, he tells his crew, he's like, find a solution, and you've got 20, literally 20 minutes to do it, because they're all dying.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, so. so she's supposed to be a medical officer. A medical officer kind of strikes me as someone who's going to be cautious. Crusher strikes me as cautious McCoy, cautious... All of the medical officers strike me as someone who's cautious. And Phlox isn't cautious. No, Phlox is And Bashir is Bashir definitely, is definitely, definitely yeah, That's true. That's <laughs> not true. cautious. Okay, you're right about that. <laughs> Sir, the Gemini
1: are bombing the planet from space. is like, well, if we beam down... <laughs> We might be okay, and that I was mean, war. Okay, that was war. War.
3: Not to spoil anything for Discovery for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. That's true. Colber, Colbert should have been more cautious, <laughs> and maybe, maybe his fate would have been different. So,
2: yeah. <laughs> anyway, the the whole thing is is that it makes me feel like she's uh, she was taking unnes- a lot of unnecessary risks that someone with her sort of experience would wouldn't necessarily do and they acknowledge that oh this was a mistake you shouldn't have done this but why would you risk that to begin with and it it just didn't really work for me it made me feel like she's it made me think that she's just a lot more incompetent than she than they were actually uh making her out to be
1: she's the inspiration to dr gregory house though i don't know i just made it's not lupus it's
3: not lupus it's It's never lupus (laughs) never lupus um, I, I saw it more as she kind of has a tunnel vision. Oh, so the, the running joke in the house show was that, like, in basically oh, every episode... gotcha, gotcha. You, you know, his, his assistants would say that it was lupus, and it would never be lupus. It's never, it's never lupus. <laughs> like, I think, like, in one time it was lupus, right? Like, in the whole series. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I feel like it was more of Pulaski kind of has a tunnel vision. Uh, this is her job, and this is her responsibility. And anything else is more of just noise getting in the way of that. And so that, I think, is why she needs Picard to balance her out and why Picard also needs her because he pushes her to rein things in and do things in a relatively safe manner. But she still pushes him enough to get results because the truth is that if she hadn't done the stuff on the shuttlecraft, everybody on the station was going to be dead.
1: We'd have no idea how to handle this. Mm Mm-hmm. And they probably never would have figured out the immune system being the, such a problem for everybody. Because mm-hmm. now you both brought up a good, like, an ethical point that Star Trek always talked about. Do they now have to quarantine the whole planet, or what are they going to do with these kids? Mm-hmm. And that's why I like as Star Trek fans, so we like to, we want to know that kind of stuff because it interests us. Well, they they frame it kind of loosely that they're going to have to live out their days in isolation, and it leaves the episode
3: kind of feeling like the researchers on the station are going to be saved through the transporter method too. Um, fine. So are they just going to stay there and, and protect the kids who can't leave this iso- – I don't know. It's a little weird, right? Because obviously the isolation chamber was, wasn't working. So as long as they don't leave the
2: planet, I guess, that's we're all just, that really matters. We're just going to have kind of a Truman Show thing going on. <laughs> and they'll just be up there taking notes on the kids and be like, oh, they're doing this. They're doing this. There's, that's really all they can do: just set up surveillance and study
1: the kids. Turns out, part of the genetic des- not engineering the design, right? The oh, word they whoa, used. Whoa! Yeah, I know, whoa. I know. We don't use the word engineering. We don't use the word engineering. No, Turns out, they programmed the kids to somehow like being in isolation. It's like that's what they want to be. Is <laughs> maybe? Yeah, this is our home. It's a possibility. <laughs> then you have to ask why you even why you even create them. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, anything else to talk about on unnatural selection
2: before we move on? A few other notes. I mean, we talked. I do. I did like what you said. Uh, Pulaski. Pulaski was very self-reflective. Once she realized she made a mistake, she's like, "Oh, well, okay, I'm going to own up to this. That was on me." But I don't know, the scientists and everybody just seem so stupid in this episode.
1: They're they're almost like arrogant. Yeah. Like a, like that dangerous kind of arrogance where, well, what do you mean? What's wrong with designing humans? We lo- we love it. Well, it's not even so much that as they believe that whatever they did all worked perfectly all the
3: time. And then, then it's not an experiment. If you know that you did it right, then it's not an experiment, right? So clearly this is something that's still in the testing phases and mistakes could have been made. Otherwise, why would you even bother having them in isolation if they were going to work perfectly? So it's that, again, it's maybe that, those blinders of they just feel like their way is the only way and anything else is just a distraction.
2: Hey, we have, you know, we have this problem here. We're all aging. And, you know, it can't be this ridiculous science experiment over here in the corner that (laughs) is completely perfect and is not malfunctioned. It can't be that. Also, you know, I have to say it because I I say it pretty much any time Troy is in an episode and says anything. She was dumb in this episode because she, there's a, there's a scene where uh, they're talking about the about taking the kid out of styrolite And Troy's all like, oh, well, I don't detect anything. You can do that. That's cool. And I, I wrote down in my notes, Troy is dumb. Why are the scientists dumb? Everyone is dumb. There's, there's <laughs> a lot of
3: uh, not quite thinking in detail in this episode. I will say in Troy's defense that once she becomes an officer, much better character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's written so much better when they finally let her be an officer and mm-hmm. go through that.
2: And nothing against Marina
3: Sirtis. No, they lovely. just
2: uh, they did not give give that poor actress very much to do in these early episodes.
3: And some of it, I mean, one of, I've seen some interviews with Marina. and One of her things was she wanted to let the writers do what the writers wanted to do. So it was, from her perspective it was the writer's job to write the character and her job to then act that, that dream out. Right? Whereas somebody like Patrick Stewart or um, Gates McFadden pushed the production and writing team in certain directions for certain things. Uh, Patrick Stewart, of course, because of, you know, being the lead on the show, he had a little more leeway and things like Mm -hmm. that. And part of why Gaze McFadden missed season two is because she created some bad blood on the production staff because she was very opinionated. And sometimes that works for you and sometimes it doesn't. But I think for Marina, you know, part of why she was able to stick around so long was because she really just let the writers do whatever they wanted, good or bad, for the character. (laughs) So, you know, so I get it. I totally understand that standpoint. And, you know, to be fair, we got her for all seven seasons and all four movies. So, you know, and her character did get better over time. Yes,
2: yes, she did. Just in this episode, you have Pulaski who's like, let's take him out to, let's, uh, let's unlock this kid. And
1: Troy is basically the only person who's on your side. (laughs) Or, you know, I detect, you know, The scientists, they're definitely hiding something. Like, thanks, that's... You know, we're at a secret genetic research location. I mean, it's like saying Derek might be hungry. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Why? You got some pizza? There we go. (laughs) It's just just that catch-all thing they did with with Troy.
3: There were a lot of those tropes. You know, just like with Worf, if you wanted to show that an enemy was really strong, you just have them throw Wharf across the room, <laughs> you
2: know? <laughs> that's right. That was rough, <laughs> because in the process, it makes Worf weak, yeah. because he always gets taken down by the enemies. Anyway, that's, that's all I have for this episode.
1: Greg, anything else? Nope. It's uh, my pick for my favorite Pulaski episode. And You know, the, the older I get, the more I watch this episode, the more I, it's definitely kind of goofy. Yeah. And not necessarily the best of ways, because <laughs> there are so many characters that do things that baffle logic. But, yeah. you, know, I'll, you know, I'll give the writer's strike of Season 2 a little bit of, a little bit of defense here for, for Next Generation. Fair.
3: Fair enough. All right, well then we will move on to our second episode. Timmy, tell us a bit about Up the Long Ladder.
2: So, Up the Long Ladder...
3: Which I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. But I don't understand
2: the the title of this episode. Okay, I think I might be able to explain this. Just me uh, throwing it out there, though. I didn't do any research. Up the long ladder, I kind of thought that that meant the genetic ladder, perhaps the idea of um, that's interesting. You know, mom and dad come together, other mom and dad come together, and eventually we have this whole genetic ladder, genetic system that's made. That's that's how I um, took it to Fair be. Enough. But Up the Long Ladder, I kind of gave a brief summary of it earlier. So they go to this planet and they, um, there's like, a, I think there's a distress signal at this planet. A lot of distress signals? <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> Season two. And uh, Picard is looking through the manifest and sees all these strange items like a spinning wheel. And it's just like, what is, why do they need a spinning wheel? It's a colony. And when they go to the planet, they because the planet's about ready to explode or... You know, something. as planets do, they just do that. <laughs> they do that. No Death Star needed. They just, do that. just blow on Star Trek. They just explode. <laughs> <laughs> so, they beam them all up, and these people are very much a very much a rural society, and they all are Irish, apparently too. Hmm interesting they're all irish and they all have their livestock and they're going to be recolonized and they're like hey what about the other colony did you get run into the other colony are they doing okay and macard's like oh another colony so they go to this other colony and there instead of uh i would like to i would like to describe the first colony the irish colony we're just going to call them the irish colony for the just works they're basically they're their colony is all about life, like natural life, living life to the full, and I love that. Uh, I love that little line that, that the leader of the colony says. He's like, "Well, you know, life's life's worth a little good with a little pain, or something like that. With uh, drinking alcohol, for example, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, a little pain. There we go. <laughs> but they go to that other colony, and the colony apparently has had to. Um, rely on cloning to survive so they ask Riker and Pulaski if they would offer some of their genetic material because of the whole problem with cloning to begin with is that you have a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy you do that enough times and you just don't have a really you don't really have a good clone. You get you multiplicity in yeah. Michael Keaton.
3: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. They should have just played that on the holodeck. And,
2: <laughs> and yeah, well, Pulaski and Riker refuse, and they stun them and take their genetic material anyway. And that And this was actually the reason why I chose this episode, was the ethical dilemma. But with, what I found interesting was when I was uh, initially selecting this episode, they had all these summaries, you know, online about the episodes. I'm like, not nah, this one, not this one. I'm like, oh, this one. And for some reason, I thought I remembered them hanging out on the clone planet a lot longer than they did. <laughs> it took a good 25, 30 minutes to get to that episode. And at which point I'm like, what, what are you trying to, what's this episode about? Are we just kind of... Gonna hang out with these Irish people and drink meat in space, which I'm totally okay with, by the <laughs> way. Or uh, are you trying to make a point? Well, make a long story short Riker and Pulaski aren't too happy about them uh, getting their genetic material stolen, so they go down and kill their clones, which I kind of liked the ethical dilemma that they ran into with that, because they didn't hesitate, they just killed them. They're like, Nope, this is not a life form at all. We're going to kill him. Boom. I felt like they kind of brush over that a little quick. Yeah. For Star Trek. A lot of quick.
3: <laughs> yeah, a lot of, you know, like, there's just no question about it. He's like, well, this one looks like mine,
1: zap, this one looks like yours, you good? Yep, all right. <laughs> and it, it kind of falls back to, Yeah, I think you kind of mentioned earlier, we, know, we never really know if these are like, feder- are these planets in Federation space or not? Hmm. I think they are. Because it didn't seem like, because the,
3: the Enterprise was doing like normal mission stuff, so I feel like that was supposed to be Federation
2: space. Which,
1: Which you think then killing the clones would be a huge problem for...
2: Especially if they're supposed to be life forms. I mean, I could, you could kind of walk around the whole ban thing that we were talking about with the previous episode, about them. not genetic engineering. Be as a clone, as a clone. It's a copy. They're not, they're not doing anything with it. They're just making one. You, could, you might be able to be like, well, you see, subsection B if that. bad. We, we can get away with this. Problem. We're good. Maybe with
3: cloning, because they never figured out how to handle the viability problem, maybe there just aren't clones in Starfleet or the Federation. Maybe that's just not really a common thing that we run into. Well,
2: we definitely don't see it very much in Star Trek now that I think about it. Not often. No.
3: You know, So maybe it's just one of those things where... It, the Federation doesn't necessarily have, or the Starfleet doesn't necessarily have
1: regulations about it, because it's just not really done. There's the one DS9 episode where the man murders his own clone and frames oh. somebody else, and it's a really bizarre episode. But right. but he was a, like a Bajoran. He he was not a terrorist, but he was he was in like one of one of the cells in the Bajoran army, resistance. But he kind of became a little bit, obviously a little. A little twisted
3: with his ethics right. as
1: the older he got, and being willing to kill his own clone. Hmm.
3: Well, and to be also fair, Cisco does nuke the atmosphere of an entire
2: planet to get to one dude. So, <laughs> <laughs> and Deep Space Nine got pretty dark, but it's war. Okay, it's war. You can get away with that. Yeah. I and now that I think about it, Enterprise did have that episode similitude with uh, the they basically clone Trip and so that they could have his have the organs to save real trip. So yeah, I, guess I forgot that's, about that one. I yeah, don't, I don't remember that one at all. I love that one. That's a good one. We could spend a whole podcast talking about that one. But I think the reason I chose this one was that I was expecting it to have a lot more um to talk about with the ethics because I really liked what they introduced here. They introduced this whole idea, and it's like, oh, you're saying that you can just go and kill your clone. Well, you know, you can, you can symbolically talk about abortion in this episode. You can symbolically talk about rape in this episode because, you know, they had something taken from them and then they made a life form from it. Does that life form have a right to survive? That's a good question. And they just, they really glossed over that. So that's where the episode kind of falls for me. And yeah, they, they,
1: they posed a lot of dilemmas and then kind of, sidestepped all of them. <laughs> so, think about it. Season 2 had a lot of ethical stuff, because it had the whole measure of a man with data. and mm-hmm. had your episode with the cloning and what, the unnatural selection with the genetic engineering. Yours kind of had no... Neither of ours had resolution. We have no. no idea what happened with the kids. We have no idea what happened with the clones.
2: And By the way, this was something interesting. At the beginning of this episode, Worf apparently has, like, this... He has this reaction, which you think that's going to be what the whole episode is about, because that was the... That was a little teaser where Worf has this reaction and passes out on the bridge. And then Pulaski, you know, is like, hey, you have clean on measles. I won't tell anyone, though. We're yeah, good. that doesn't go anywhere. Nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what do you... It, I think there's a follow-up scene. And I think, and that's... I do think that those are good Pulaski scenes. Her interaction with Worf in both those scenes where they're drinking the tea. On the Klingon tea yeah. ceremony. Yes. So those were two good Pulaski moments, but they really had nothing to do with the episode. Well, that's okay. I, I think that like the, the tea
3: scene, I think is really important because it shows her interest in, in other cultures, right? That she's not just a human for humans. She wants to experience other cultures and she respects them quite a bit, especially when there's not you know life and death on the line kind of thing. Like you know, like when Worf goes through his. um his rite of, uh, right of ascension with the pain stick, sticks, right? You know, like, that's a lot more brutal and you can really get injured and, and stuff like that. But this is a very, like, respectful thing, right? This is about respecting others and it's a very um,
2: private ceremony, which is a big deal for Klingons. Yeah, and I liked both those scenes. Those were two of my favorite scenes in the episode. Two Pulaski scenes, good for her. But they just didn't... I don't know if they really did anything for the episode itself. Usually A story and B story in a Star Trek episode sort of work together and then come together. A story, I felt, was the American Irish ship running through the ship that was drinking mead, And B story was the clone story. And then those two stories um, came together because, spoiler alert, that's kind of how the uh, clones ended up surviving. They had to mesh with the Irish colony.
1: And of course, if this was a Star Trek drinking game, Riker wasted no time at all Ugh. on getting to know yep. some of the new, one of the new guests.
3: Yep. Oh man, it's so good. I'm drawing a blank on the line, but when he first goes in the cargo bay, um, there's, just, <laughs> oh, yes. there's a line yes. that he has, yes. and I had to pause it and play it back for Ray because it was just like the smoothest thing. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? How much
2: you, how much you ever seen a, a woman before? I have now. Oh no, I thought I had. I thought I had. That was the line. That's the line. I yeah. thought I had. I thought I had.
3: <laughs> hey baby. <laughs> that, that right there is like the most Riker thing that ever happened. And I loved it. I really did. Um, she's a great character though. Like
1: I, I had a huge crush on her. <laughs> You're almost thinking like, I know, when, and I, we always wish it now. It's easy to do it 30 years later. She would have been a great addition to the crew. They would have right? found some weird, silly way to, Make her like an acting uh, cultural resources officer. You can teach us about how people live on your planet. Because the actress is cool. She's been on a yeah. bunch of stuff and a bunch of sci-fi stuff. And she holds her own with Riker easily.
2: Yeah. Like, there I, was some good chemistry there.
1: Well, and that's what I mean. is that I know people have commented on Riker before. And sometimes the, the female part of his relationship interest doesn't always seem as interested. It's like this woman can hold her own with anybody on that ship. And she has no doubt about it. That's... And it's she fun. wanted to cool. embrace the technology,
3: right? Because yep. she made a comment about how you know they wanted to put all the kids in the schools and teach them things. And uh, her father's like, "Well, how do you feel about that?" She's like, "I think it's a good idea." So I thought she was a lot of fun. It's kind of a shame that the show, the TV, was so episodic back then. Because I'm, I'm today she would have been around for at least a handful of
1: episodes. Well, because they have the instant rating systems, basically, where they're like that they can figure out online within an hour. Mm -hmm. You know, Timothy, Derek, and Greg are tweeting about this actress or whatever, or her scenes, and they immediately know. I mean, Discovery made changes halfway through some of their filming of the first season based on feedback. Mm -hmm. So we know, you're right, they maybe would have found a way to... Lieutenant Commander already. We're like, wait a second.
3: <laughs> but she could
1: have easily. Have, like,
3: they could have strung this mission out. Like mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't a you know three hours to get between the colonies. Maybe it took a week, mm-hmm. right? And so it spanned a couple of episodes where they you know checked I out an liked. anomaly
2: or something like that. I would have liked that better you know? actually. And then because you could have taken just the clone thing and you could have made that an episode. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that, and that was just so creepy when Pulaski and Riker. Get taken to that room, and you have these guys with these hoods on, and they're sticking these big old needles into their stomach. You're like, oh, it's about to get real, man. I Ooh. mean, you, you could kind of know, of course, we're looking
3: at this in retrospect. You know, we, we already have Voyager, uh, they didn't have it back then. But there was a um, oh man, drawn a blank on the title of the episode that's one of my favorites. It's the one where they go to that planet where there's like that living Mercury that uh, becomes sentient and takes over and becomes like it. like. Harry Kim, for example, but it's not really Harry Kim. It's this alien. And they, they have to sample DNA and they can basically become sentient beings using your DNA samples. And by the end of the episode, Janeway uh, basically offers them that she will open up the crew and anybody on the crew who wants to provide a DNA sample is welcome to do so. And they do. And so when Voyager leaves the planet at the end of the episode, there's dozens of these now essentially cloned Voyager people who are these mercury creatures and it even comes back in an episode i think it's called is it course oblivion i think maybe is like the pseudo sequel episode to it um and so like they kind of did that a little bit and i think in this case if it had been less episodic they could have had more of the crew involved maybe it's not just Pulaski and Riker. maybe it's a couple dozen people and a bunch of people have to be involved and maybe somebody doesn't think it's okay to destroy the clone right um, and you can kind of have that back and forth. But it was 1988,
2: 89, and this was as risky as they were going to get, I guess. Yeah, just, hmm. Anyway, so that's uh, why I picked that episode. I like the ethical issues, and I feel that Pulaski is really good in this episode. She's more of she's more of a cautious medical officer as opposed to unnatural selection. She's like, oh, that kid's fine. Let's uh, open them up. You know, the, we're going to open up this really dangerous science experiment right now. There's nothing wrong with it. And this one, she's like, they took our samples. We need to go and do something about this. <laughs> and, you know, Pulaski in Unnatural Selection, ooh, they took our samples. They went and cloned them. I,
1: I'm going to go watch. I'm going to go beat the clone. Yeah. Well, but your episode in the timeline did fall after Unnatural Selection. Maybe she yeah. maybe she learned finally. She's and, learned. You know, it took like her four, uh, 20 years and 22 years of Starfleet to, yeah. man, I've been screwing up for a long time. I mean, it's an
3: interesting idea that maybe she did. She learned a lot from that experience because she almost died. And if uh, Picard had let her go do her own thing in the beginning, most of the crew may have died. Or, yeah, or mm-hmm. all the data. You mean, know, uh, very likely. You know, a thousand people could have been killed under her watch from that decision. And maybe she learned that she needs to be a little more cautious in this type of environment. Because she's not, you know, at a special research station. She is on
1: this family vessel flagship with normal people. So peop- well, and something Timothy, I just clicked in my brain because he mentioned an unnatural selection. The kids were in isolation, never exposed to the first officer with the, yeah. the illusion flu. But they brought up the, the flu like five different times. But when Plasky meets the kid, they're on a shuttlecraft. She was never exposed to the flu. And if they were in isolation, the kids were never exposed to the flu. So what the flu? What was the, flu, the point of the flu? Okay, hang on. Okay,
2: I can f- explain this away, except for. The whole isolation thing still negates my, anyways, theory on that. <laughs> but no,
3: you're right though, because yeah. <laughs> the whole premise is supposed to be that the flu is what basically turned. Well, okay, maybe the flu turned on their immune system, and there's just you no know, turning it off.
2: Ah, okay. My thought, my thought is, is anytime you have a disease, you never really. Like, a cold? You never get that cold, the same cold, again. I mean, maybe somehow so she had it. and She... I, I no. actually think it's more of... Like, their immune system was exposed to it. Their immune system gave it to her, and it just... Oh, wait. No, no that doesn't make sense their, either. Yeah, their immune system would have destroyed it. I
3: think what it was is the flu kickstarted started their immune system because they had been in isolation from the rest of the galaxy, right? And so as long as the researchers didn't have anything, which they probably would not have given the situation, then they were fine. But the, the flu kickstarted started their immune system. Once their immune system was turned on and attacking things, it was going to attack anything it saw as a possible mm-hmm. threat, which would include other bi- biological life that could infect them. Because that's kind of the point about uh, that Plasky makes about how the the new species is deadly to the previous species. Because that's just what it is. If you come in contact in the same air as them, that's it. You're done. Right Right. in a matter of days or however. Survival of the fittest. It It is. There we go. So I think that's what that was. But literal
1: Darwin.
2: Yeah. So yeah, the the, uh, one other thing I did have about up the long ladder was and maybe they have this in your episode as well, but they kept, ca- they had special appearance by the Pulaski
1: actress. Was she ever in the credits? Or... She was constant in my episode as well. Special appearance by Diana Holtar. Uh, that's just
3: so weird. Yeah. I think she always was. Cause she, I believe she had only signed on for the one season officially because, you know, she, at the end of the day, she was a replacement for uh, Gates McFadden when Gates McFadden was more or less asked to not return. Um, and a lot of the cast was not, you know, thrilled with having mean, Patrick Stewart basically lobbied to have bring her mm-hmm. back. So I believe that that you know the Pulaski character had really only been addressed for the one season. And they didn't necessarily have
2: plans for that character to continue after that. Well, that makes no sense whatsoever. As so far as s- as far as you've gotta have a medical officer But they could have had somebody else. I what, mean, so th- so it's the, the medical... federation flagship. You could have that, you know,
3: turning over any t- different so, specialists at different
2: times, and so the medical officer is basically the defense against the dark arts position. Or <laughs> Enterprise
1: is that, that <laughs> how so it's a, yeah,
2: kind of.
3: Like, let's let's be really honest. The fact that the TNG crew, the main crew, the, the bridge officers are together for what is essentially fourteen years makes very little sense. Most of these characters should have been promoted out of their positions and left the ship. By the end of Nemesis, we've got two captains, and, like, everybody else is a commander,
2: (laughs) you
3: know? When we started, I mean, you know, Jordy was a lieutenant, Worf was a
1: lieutenant, Data was a lieutenant, and by the end of it, everybody's a commander. Well, that, that always begs the question, you know, Data, you know that one episode where he's like, oh, Legion of Honor with, like, triple clusters, you're like, why isn't this dude, like, an admiral? Like, at this point, he's won every... I know it falls back to the whole, he's not a human thing. Yes, yeah. But, like you said, it's... At some point, Starfleet being a pseudo-military... Riker, the more he turns down a promotion, like, well, okay, you don't get a choice. You will either become captain of this ship, or we're going to foster you out somewhere else, because... Well, you'd think at some point they're just not going to ask him again. Yeah, or they're never going to ask ever again. But
3: Jordy, Worf... uh, I mean, even Dr. Crusher, you know, you... uh, now, sh- theoretically, she ends up getting promoted to the head of Starfleet Medical, but it takes a long time,
2: and she's been the flagship chief medical officer for a decade, you know. So, well, Jordy, they had to, and the reason they had to is because Argyle, he never really left the Enterprise, he's still there, actually, to this day, he's somewhere in the <laughs> Jeffries tubes. He's just lost. Just do, do it a thing, you know, that's just what, that's just Argyle, in a nutshell. But you know, I mean, that,
1: that's kind <laughs> the of the chief engineer from like the second
3: episode. I,
2: <laughs> I like the idea. They that Make the, references to throughout they, the rest of season one, do. but that's the
3: only time you see him. <laughs> but I think it makes sense that characters would would move on. I mean, like Chief does, like like okay. O'Brien. You know, O'Brien moves on, and you could call when he gets a DS nine a promotion or not. I think there could be an argument there to be had, but the idea is that he moves on to other things. Whereas after season one, when Worf and Geordi move into their new roles. Nobody changes positions after that. Hmm. They're all in the exact same job for the rest of the time until the end of Nemesis when Riker gets his own ship, you know. Then things change a little bit. But that's it. And that the, really the only change there happened because LeVar Burton was very popular and Denise Crosby quit. Worf was only supposed to be on uh, 17 episodes so you know, um, and he became one of the top
1: three fan favorites. Probably
3: he's been in more Star Trek than any other actor, mm-hmm. unless you count
2: voice appearances, which would be um, uh, Miguel Barrett. So, and they would they would really labor to put him in Star Trek, the Star Trek movies. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> yep. you, you know, know a little off topic, but yes, <laughs> I, was, I was told about this, and you can delete this later if you want. No, but I was saying. told about this. Um, uh, by uh, by some people like insurrection, they don't even explain why he's there. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're, like, they're just, just like, there. they're just like, Worf, what are you doing here? And I think he's about ready to explain it, and then they just pan off. They're like, okay, he's. They here. totally
3: cut kind of, No, it's
1: true. Well, <laughs> ki- well, sir, and then they just move the camera to <laughs> <from> another <laughs> spot. <laughs> just, just we need Michael Dorn. Let him be on the ship. You know, at yeah, least, at least first contact kind of made sense.
3: Well, and Nemesis because of the wedding.
1: Yeah, because of the wedding, right? But insurrection, yeah, in yeah, they don't even whatever yeah it's, it's pretty good <laughs>
2: you need you need wharf if you're making a next generation movie you need wharf but anyway Pulaski.
3: so yeah so we are over our normal time which is great because this has actually been a lot of fun uh we didn't mention this at the beginning but we're recording this in person which we don't usually get to do and i will say that having done podcasts both ways it's just a little
1: more fun and free-flowing to do it in person, in my opinion. You so. can see people's reactions. It's a little bit easier to edit because you can see people's responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not necessarily waiting for someone to speak because you think there's a delay you know, or something like that. Oh, that must be a nightmare
3: <laughs> editing, this not it? It can be tough. you know. No. But, uh, but all right, so do you, I guess um, any other final thoughts now on Up the Long Ladder before we wrap up?
1: It's another one of the episodes where the secondary characters feel the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the the cloners, even though they're in it for a very short time, it's kind of an interesting theory interesting thing they're doing. You don't necessarily agree with it, but you kinda get it. And the Irish planet, I know that's just what we're calling it. They're <laughs> all just so It's like the Titanic thing. It's like the business class people in Titanic are all horrible, mean, evil. And you go to like the steerage level, I'm like, they're all drinking, having fun and partying. I'm like God bless the Irish. I mean, that's, kind of, that's a, good, a
0: good
2: comparison for what this was. It's a, it's a contrast. That's what up the long ladder is. It's a contrast bef- between the scientific and the sterile um, environment, sterile way of life. You can just stay inside and not ever have any interaction with the outdoors. And I mean, they described what sexual reproduction is repugnant. That's how they described it. Or you can actually enjoy life, and a little pain to enjoy life. I think that's the theme of the episode.
3: It is a little weird, that that aspect of the fact that they don't have any sexual contact with each other. You'd think that... I mean, maybe is it just because they got bored because there was not a lot of people? Or did the clones not like each other? I don't know. But they
1: never explored at all. No. Okay.
2: I kind of implied that the more they cloned themselves the less they were into it. Yeah, just a genetic thing. Mm. Which, of course, makes the whole episode fall apart at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the end is (laughs) All Alright, well, we
3: will wrap up here then before we, we
2: continue on these
3: tangents. So... Um, I thinking it over and uh, people out there listening, you will have a chance to vote on this at Twitter. If you follow us at Redshirts Pod, you'll be able to tw- uh, vote in this poll a couple hours after the episode premieres, which is on Friday. So the poll will w- run from midday Friday until midday Monday, which, because we record Monday nights and we can plug in the results in the next episode. So um, I'm going to go with Unnatural Selection in this one. Um,
1: the defeat streak ends <laughs> <laughs> Greg,
3: Greg's taking <laughs> on home um, no this is this is a good one I, I think that the premise is, is interesting and I think that you learn so much about who Pulaski mm-hmm. is in this episode uh, which was kind of the argument I was making for Riker last week was that you, just, you learn a lot about who she is and what she's willing to risk what she's willing to do to learn the truth whatever that truth ends up being she's willing to put her own life on the line if that means getting some answers um, and that's it it kind of legitimizes her character for me.
2: It's, it's very much a true Pulaski episode. And so you look at that one, you're like, this is a Pulaski episode. And I was tasked with trying to find another episode that was a true Pulaski episode. And I just, I couldn't really find one that was like that. And there aren't really any full on bona fide uh, Pulaski episodes except for that one.
3: I will say, going back to what we talked about earlier, Elementary Deer Data, the right conversation may have steered it. Because personally, that's one of my favorite episodes. So that's, a, that's kind of a biased situation for me anyway. Because mm-hmm. Moriarty is fantastic. Oh <laughs> Get no argument
2: for me on that. But the question is, is it a Pulaski episode?
3: Well, it doesn't have to be. So this is something uh, we've kind of talked about. It doesn't have to be true. a Pulaski episode as long as it showcases the character well. Fair enough. You know, that's kind of my thing. Because Measure of a Man is a Picard and Data episode through and through. I just thought it showcased Riker well, for example. Agreed. Um, you know, Unnatural Selection is definitely a Pulaski episode. Mm-hmm. You know, this is to showcase who she is, what her abilities are, what her knowledge is. And her relationship with Picard and how that back and forth is going to work out. Why is she on the Enterprise? You know, we never really got that answer. You know, all of a sudden, there's no Crusher, and we have Pulaski. What's this about? Now we understand that she wanted this. She wanted to be on the Enterprise with Picard because of XYZ. So, uh, but if you agree or disagree, you will be able to vote on this at Redshirts Pod on Twitter. Uh, we are... F- Red Shirts and Runabouts on the Heroes Podcast Network. You can find us at heroespodcasts.com and at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram as well as Redshirts Pod on Twitter. Uh, the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Blog Talk Radio, anywhere that you have uh, an, an app where you can plug in an RSS feed. Uh, Timmy, if people did want to reach out to you and talk Trek or your favorite fandom, Star Wars, how might people do that?
2: Well, probably the best way to get a hold of me would be on Twitter. At Wookie 42 don't forget, Wookie has two E's. A lot of people forget that. <laughs> and a lot of people don't find me as a result. Fair enough.
1: Greg? And as always, you can find me at the underscore bittersteel. We've had a lot of interesting chats with other podcasts on Twitter lately. It's uh, I'm jealous of the whole crew going to Star Trek Las Vegas. Oh man, yeah, it's I I love all of
3: these people. Like they're just the best people to talk to, but I'm so jealous. I am very jealous. jealous. Next
1: year it's my goal. I will be there. You better not be. You can come too.
3: No, I can't. That's the weekend I'm getting married. Whoa. Getting married in Vegas. Well so we're playing you and I. Our our goal is to go the following year for our one year anniversary. Uh. So my twenty twenty, STLV twenty twenty. That's, that's my goal here. But I am the Star Trek Dude on Twitter. Please come and chat Trek with me. I also host uh, two other shows on the network, Screen Heroes and Gamer Heroes, our movie TV podcast and our video game podcast, because I like to talk. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We'll catch you guys next
1: time. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer, The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage.